Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Speak, episode 118. I'm Eddie Kalecki. And I'm Tim Moore. The Hill Jazz Walls joining us today. A lot to talk about on the MLB free agency front. We'll get to that in just a moment. Giants and Eagles facing off for the first of two times in the next five weeks. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. Also going to touch on the Sports Speak Fantasy League since the final week of the regular season is coming up. And there's still some indecision in terms of who's going to make the playoffs. So we'll talk about that too. But I kind of want to start with a new segment that I want to introduce to begin the show. Um, it's going to be called Room to Vent, and I'll start because I want to give everybody the opportunity, if there's something that's bugging them in the sports world, to really you know complain about because I have something, I have a bone to pick with Big Ten men's basketball officiating from last night. So Rutgers played Ohio State last night, a chance for the Scarlet Knights to go to 2-2, two and two, a 2-0 two and oh rather, in Big Ten play, first road game in Big Ten play. They lost their first two road games, but they looked really solid last night. They played good defense. They battled hard. They hit some clutch shots. It was a one-point game with five seconds left. Caleb McConnell gets fouled. He goes to the line. He makes the first free throw, misses the second. Buckeyes have no more timeouts, so they start a charge down the court. Now, they have a player at the far side dribbling, Rutgers traps them a double team, and then another Buckeye player is standing out of bounds, running out of bounds in front of the scorer's table, comes back inbounds, catches the ball, puts up a shot, hits a buzzer-beating three-pointer, Ohio State wins. Now, that's against the rules, because if you are out of bounds on an offensive possession per college basketball NCAA rules... You cannot be the first person to touch the ball once you come back in. You have not established your positioning back on the court, and therefore that should have been a turnover. And the Big Ten officials in that game, literally all they did was review to make sure he got the shot off in time before the clock expired, which was like 0.6 on the clock, and he, you know, he did. And then they just went off the court, and that was it. And I know Rutgers got the benefit of the doubt a couple of times when it came to officiating last year, particularly the famous buzzer beater against Purdue, which today is the one year anniversary of because the clock did not start right away. If it did, Harper probably would have gotten wouldn't have gotten the shot off in time. But I know that's a bit of human error. There is no excuse why they can't review a play that is easily found from the video from the broadcast feed that both feet were out of bounds of the shooter and it was a clear violation of the rules so Rutgers thankfully in terms of the net rankings it didn't hurt them but you know this is a really really tough pill to swallow and if it comes down to whether or not they make the tournament based on this game that's horrible so that's frustrating to me I just needed to get that out there. So I, I, I'm starting this segment. I don't know if you guys want to chime in, if you have anything that you need to vent about. Raheel is just calm, cool, collected. He's having fun at New Okay, house. I have something I have something to vent about because yeah, it's going to be a topic that we're going to talk about in a little bit. And I'm going to be honest with you. Um, we're not even to the start of baseball season, and I'm already irritated with the New York Yankees. I, I'm going to say it like this. The New York Yankees are the most tone-deaf, most just delusional franchise in all baseball. I'm sorry. All these big signings that we saw go on the board, you know, they turn around and they announce Brian Cashman's extension, which we all knew was happening as the big thing that's going on while all these big free agents are turning around. Listen, 
we talked about this here on Sports Speak. I even drew up a roster for what I wanted to see the New York Yankees have for this coming season. Listen, I understand Aaron Judge, a lot of money, $360 million. You know, I understand that. But in the world of baseball, in an ever-changing sport, and again, I'll put it like this, and I think I mentioned this a little bit in the Instagram chat, of, listen, I really think, nothing against the Mets, but I think Steve Cohen in general is changing the way baseball is going to be approached from a a general manager's standpoint and owner's standpoint moving forward. If you're the Yankees, now I understand the Giants didn't really have anything, right? Of course, Rodon was a free agent, so they weren't bringing him back. They weren't bringing in any free agents. So him coming back to New York makes sense. But you're telling me that you're not going to turn around and make moves waiting on one person to try to not convince Aaron Judge to want to be a New York Yankee and convince him that we're not serious, or I should say serious, about being a World Series champion. To me, it's just, we're going to get to a point in baseball where if I'm being truthfully honest, right, we saw these big free agents, Trey Turner, turn around and went to Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia looks like they may be primed not just win an NL East championship this year, but we could be talking about this team again going to the World Series. We're, we're, we're talking about other teams as well. I mean, again, Jacob DeGrom to Texas, I, to be honest, that's a money thing. That's not really so on. But the point is that we're going to be talking about very soon in the sport of baseball to a very similar, not, not in terms of contracts, but a very similar route to what we're seeing with NBA players today of, yeah, you're not going to see, you know, the big three come together. You're going to see these big players all make a difference. Yes. There's a lot more money involved, but the point is, is that I think you're going to see a lot more superstar free agents only land themselves in spots that have potential and that desire to want to win a championship most free agents unless there's a massive massive deal involved for example again going to the point of what Aaron Judge could have if he went to San Francisco will not end up going to a place that they're going to end up dying their career in and have no success at all so with that being said for example why did Justin Verlander become a Met let's be realistic for a second I mean, yes, Houston, of course, they win a World Series. That's great. But he still has a very good chance of winning a World Series with the New York Mets. Now, again, have the Mets, you know, won, you know, won a playoff series all the way back, you know, since they made the World Series? If you want to count the wild card round, sure, but theoretically not. Meaning, yes, the Yankees made ALCS, so technically they have a higher chance of possibility. But the point is this, is what frustrates me about the New York Yankees is when your only moves is re-signing Isaiah Kainofalefa and Anthony Rizzo, and you bring in Tommy Canley, listen, I don't care what anybody says, is watching. Listen, here's the other thing. The Yankees want to go and get Carlos Rodon. Here's my, here's my take on Carlos Rodon real quick. I think he is Frankie Motas 2.0. He is the most overrated pitcher in all of baseball. And he's he, he literally, literally, I understand he's had two good seasons. But if you're going to base two good seasons on why someone should be a top-tier pitcher of being an ace when he can't pitch more than six innings, more than ten times in a season, should not be getting paced ace numbers. Derek Cole is 90 times. 90 times better of a pitcher than Carlos Rodon would ever be. And Yankees fans are disappointing to think the fact that they're so critical of Garrett Cole of being a guy getting paid so much money, but then they want to pay Rodon around that price. So the Yankees have frustrated me to this point, needless to say. All right. I'm glad I did this segment now. So let's move into baseball free agency. I was thinking about starting with the Mets, but you know what? 
let's just lay it all out there with the Yankees. They bring back Aaron Judge. I don't care what people say. That's the move you had to make. And you bring him in for nine years. He's going to be a Yankee lifer and, of course, set a record. And while there's risk to that and he's probably not going to be as effective a few years down the line, it's a move you have to make. That being said, for a Yankee team that got dismantled by the Houston Astros last year in the playoffs, you need to make improvements. I feel like all they did was try to keep their roster where it was. Now, this could change. There's still a lot of free agents out there, but I they've missed out on the big hitters. And, you know, you mentioned DeGrom, you mentioned Verlander. Let's be honest. DeGrom went to Texas because of the money. Justin Verlander went to the Mets because of the money. He could probably have an equal shot of winning a World Series with the Mets or the Astros, but who's going to give him more money? Steve Cohen. The Yankees used to be the big spenders. The Yankees Wait, still what? bring in so much revenue. They make the playoffs every year. How are they not signing these guys? What what lost the Yankees the playoffs? Was it the pitching or the hitting? Let's be realistic. The Yankees couldn't hit against Houston when it mattered. Listen, again, I understand trying to spend money on Carlos Rodon. I understand spending it on Justin Verlander. Would it be great to have the reigning AL Cy Young? Absolutely. But the pitching isn't the problem. We don't need another ace. Yes, I understand we lost Jameson Tyone, but the bullpen, you know, in terms of depth-wise because of injuries, is the only thing that needed help. And let's be honest, again, if there's nobody to hit for average other than Aaron Judge and maybe a healthy DJ LeMayhew, you're not going to get consistent production, which is the frustrating part. We're not going and getting bats. We're sticking with Aaron freaking Hicks, who couldn't hit a freaking ball if it was put on a tee in front of him. Well, you know what? Then, that still proves my point. Yankees should be spending money on these guys. There's been people who have been available. Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts. I did not think Xander Bogarts was going to be leaving Boston. Padres give him a lot of money and he goes over there. Yankees need to be spending that money. I'll let the other Yankee fan chime in who might be a little more, I don't know, I'd say rational here. So, uh, Raheel, uh, give me your thoughts so far on how the Yankees have handled free agency. Well, first of all, I have to say that's probably the best rant that Tim has ever given. Um, that's going on. I would say in sports speak, but no, it is. It is frustrating. Look at where these other free agents are going. I mean, Dansby Swanson is still available. So the Yankees still have other options, but I completely agree with Tim. They need another bat or some other consistent bat in the lineup because me and Tim have kind of been harping on this all year. I mean, you look at outside of Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stan, Anthony Rizzo, and really sometimes Glaber Charles. So outside that top four, this Yankees lineup is really bad. Josh Donaldson is not good. Tim just talked about Aaron Hicks as well. This lineup is just outside of those guys is absolutely terrible. I mean, look at, I mean, I know. Uh, Judge didn't have the best postseason, but look what the bottom of the order did in the playoffs either. And then you're asking, you know, Anthony Volpe or, uh, I mean, I mean, Oswaldo, Oswaldo Cabrera, Peraza as well. I mean, Peraza, especially when you, you put him in halfway through the postseason and you're expecting him to try and save your season or save the save the ALCS. It's not going to work. So they have a lot of moves coming up. I expect that they'll try and throw some money at a big um, someone else besides Rodon. I know they're going after Rodon, so they might get him which will help the pitching because you've just lost Tyone. But if the Yankees don't sign another bat, it's going to be another issue because because if you can't hit, there's nothing much you can do. So, Dansby, again, Dansby Swanson is still available, but I really think he'll stay in Atlanta. So, But, yeah, the Yankees do need another bat. That's all I have to say about that. So let's move over to the Mets. Now, I've got to address Jacob DeGrom. So, first of all, I think that any Met fan – who suddenly now is discrediting what Jacob deGrom did for the last nine years because they're mad he went to Texas is a clown. Jacob deGrom is the second or third best pitcher in the history of the team. And whether or not you're upset with the way he left, 
you still have to credit what he was able to do. And 10 years from now, he's going to be there for old timers day. And there's a very likely chance that his number 48 will be retired at some point because of what he did over his nine years with the Mets. When you think about what he did back in 2015, helping them get to the world series. And then from 2018 through 2021 for four years, I'd say he was the undisputed best pitcher in baseball. And right now he's still a top tier pitcher, but you know what? The Mets replaced him with another Cy Young and Justin Verlander. So you have to recognize with Jacob deGrom, he, I don't really think he liked New York all that much. I don't think he liked having the pressure of the New York media constantly on him, especially when he's had the injury issues the last couple of years. And to me, as a fan, you have to respect that and be okay with that. He he provided so much for this team. Recency bias matters so much, I guess, because people have completely forgotten that the four-year era between Terry Collins and Buck Showalter Really, the only bright spot in the entire roster was Jacob deGrom doing crazy things on the mound. And people just want to ignore that because they're mad that he left. You know what? They won 101 games last year. deGrom only won five of them. Yeah, he won the playoff game, but I think they'll be okay. And you have to recognize this is a business and people are going to take more money. And Jacob deGrom found an opportunity that a team was willing to give him five years and tons of money to make him the fourth highest paid pitcher in, paid pitcher in baseball, despite all of the injury history. He's going to take that. Not to mention, I think he'd rather be in Texas than New York. There's going to be less pressure from the media there. And deGrom is the type of guy, if you ever watch an interview with him, he doesn't, I, I feel like he doesn't really want to talk that much because he just wants to pitch. That's all he wants to do. I don't really think winning even matters that much to him. I think he simply wants to just pitch and play baseball. And there's been too much that's gone on. You also have to remember, first time he was a free agent, he took a pay cut to stay with the Mets. He's not going to do that again. He's going to try to maximize what he can do. And Texas allowed him to do that. And now he can go there and pitch. If they go on a deep playoff run, maybe they will at some point. They're making the positive steps. They have a competent manager now, and they've made some big money moves aside from DeGrom. But at this point, I think he's happy with this, and I think Mets fans have to respect that. And any Mets fan that's going to go and boo him in August when he comes back to City Field is completely insane. So just have to start with that. But let's talk about the Mets roster now for 2023. Justin Verlander, overall, I'm happy with what Steve Cohen has done. And once again, if you're a Met fan, recency bias, once again, people are kind of forgetting that three years ago, the Mets signed Rick Porcello and Jake Marisnik in free agency. So regardless of what moves are being made right now, it's a lot better than what was happening three years ago. Justin Verlander, two-year deal. Yeah, it's a lot of money, but he's the reigning Cy Young winner. He's one of the top pitchers in baseball, and you're only locked into him for two years. I think that's a good move. Jose Quintana could work out. They've bolstered the bullpen. David Robertson getting him last night. People were asking the Mets to get him for two years. Now he's finally here. They add Brooks Raley. He's got some, uh, let's just say, off-the-field distractions at times. But a left-handed reliever, you kind of need that. And Brandon Nimmo now is going to be the veteran voice. He's been with the team for seven years, locked in for another eight. AAV of $20 million. Some might say it's a little high right now, but with the way all the contracts are going, I think it's a good move. Yeah, they're locked into him for a lot of years, but... You're committed to Nimmo, and I guess he'll be the Met lifer that people were hoping Jacob deGrom would be. So overall, at this point, hoping they can get one more starting pitcher. But right now, I've got to be happy with the way that Mets have constructed their roster and are looking to improve it from last year. So, Tim, your thoughts. Didn't you also just get David Robertson as well? 
Yes, yes, I mentioned that. So, yeah, and, and that that's helpful in regards to the bullpen too, yeah. in regards to the fact that you know, again, health in really New York in general, the bullpen has uh, always been a conserve, uh, you know, concern. And honestly, I feel, you know, yes, Edwin Diaz is consistent. Obviously, you bring him back, but I think the big thing too is that's always the concern, at least for the Mets over this past season, is you know, who do you have outside? Of, of the as you know really close down a game and David Robertson listen I know he's up there in age but he still got has a lot of good pitching left and what he did in Philadelphia last season could help and again it, it's going to be interesting because you, I, I don't want to like jump into future predictions so on because we still got some time to go obviously in free agency but it's already shaping up, if I'm being honest, with the way this whole post or the, the after the postseason has gone into the offseason. It, it's shaping like the NL East. Obviously, the AL East was last year the strongest division in baseball in terms of record wise. But I truly do believe this year the NL East is going to be the strongest division to be in baseball. And- and it's going to run through the NL East. And honestly, really, a lot of the superstars in general are landing in the NL. I feel like the NL in general is going to be the the, the dominant uh, the dominant place to be in 2022. And I would say 2023, excuse me. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Uh, Raheel, allow you to jump in as well. Your thoughts on what the Mets have done. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're a Mets fan, there's no possible way you can complain about what's going on. What's going on right now, right? You've got now a solid man, a three-man rotation right now. You've got a solid lineup as well, and you've added more depth when it comes to the bullpen. So realistically, there's not much Met fans can complain about right now. Yes, Eddie, losing DeGrom, you know, it's tough. I mean, because DeGrom has been, you know, whenever you thought of the Mets, you always thought Jacob DeGrom. But at the end of the day, you have to also look at his injury history. The Mets just weren't willing to pay him that much money for a guy who is really dominant but consistently gets hurt. So there's not much... You can do there. So now you add Justin Verlander, who didn't have the best postseason, but he just won the Cy Young. And I know Max Scherzer wasn't great down the stretch, but he did give you some big-time performances. I mean, there was the game against the Yankees, the Subway Series. I was at that game where he was completely dominant. So there are still positive signs there. And, again, just it's going to be interesting to see because that NL division and the NL just in general, oh, man, because you got the Padres in there. You've got the Dodgers who are still going to be good. Now you've got the Mets. You've got the Braves, and now you've got the Phillies who are all of a sudden coming out of nowhere. So, like you guys said, it's the NL is clearly the most dominant division. And I mean, Tim, we were talking about this last year with the with the American League. Really, outside the Houston Astros, it's so wide open right now because the Yankees are kind of always a question mark. Yes, we always know they get to the playoffs, but what do they actually do when they get to the playoffs? So, outside the Houston Astros, there's a lot of question marks in the American League. But as a Mets fan, or as as Eddie, you being a Mets fan, you hit the nail on the head. You can't complain about what's going on right now. Yeah, for sure. So let's look outside New York. I want to go around our most underrated signing from outside of the Big Apple. I'll start. It's actually the backup move that the Giants made in case they didn't get Aaron Judge, which they did not. It's Mitch Hanniger from the Mariners. I like that signing. First of all, they got him on the cheap compared to what other outfielders are signing for. Nimmo, 20 million. He's three for 44. So definitely saving some money there. And Hanniger had a great year with Seattle. He's consistently been a power hitter and an average hitter. Yeah, he's had some injury history, but I think that's a nice compliment to a Giants outfield that already has Yastrzemski. They've got some veteran pieces. There's work to be done. That team's still too old and they need to make a couple of more moves. And if they don't keep Carlos Rodon, there's obviously questions in the rotation beyond Logan Webb. But I think a Hanniger move, I'm kind of surprised the Mariners let him go, being that he was one of the veteran pieces. And it's not like he's one of these guys who signed for an insane amount of money. 
He's going to be making what, like $14 million a year. That's not that much in today's major league baseball. So I'm kind of surprised, but I think this could be a good move for the Giants. Uh, Raheel, how about you? Your biggest underrated move so far here in the winter meetings. I love Contreras to the, uh, to the Cardinals. I think that's a very good move for them, especially considering the way things ended for them last year. I think Contreras is going to do big things for them. And I mean, now Cubs fans are going to have to probably hate him because he's going to the Cardinals. But for me, that's the sort of underrated move. And again, that's kind of unfortunate because the, you know, the, everyone thought he was going to be dealt at the deadline. Now the Cubs don't get anything for him. I know the contract, there's a decent amount of money there, but I really like that move for the Cardinals. And Tim, how about you? You know, I would agree with Raheel in regards to Contreras. I think that is just a massive, massive one. But honestly, I I will say in regards to – it's not really underrated, but to me I still feel it feels very underrated, and that's Xander Bogarts going to San Diego. You know, what does this mean for Fernando Tatis? You know, we'll find out. But overall, San Diego is loaded, loaded. There is no reason why the Padres now should not, should not go on an attempt to get a World Series run. This team has Manny Machado, that you know, Tatis, when everything's all clear, rather it's the injury rows, maturity, and so on. And then you add Xander Bogarts, who's a borderline every year, 3,100 guy, can, you know, bat 300. That's all you can honestly God ask for uh, for San Diego. They're starting to get the sluggers. And again, you know, I I know, I oh God, who's the pitcher they lost um, this past season? They, they, they lost somebody. Trying to remember who it is. By who? Not, they lost um, one of the starter. Yes. Was it Clevenger? Yes. Yes. Clevenger. Yeah, might have been, been. Yeah. They lost Clevenger, but overall the rotation to me is also still in a very, very good spot. So, needless to say, for San Diego, I just think again it's 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 a notable signing, but to me it's a little bit more underrated because honestly, of the free agents at the shortstop position, I know Trey Turner took a, a by the way took a pay cut, might I add, of what he was offered to go play in Philadelphia because apparently that's how much Bryce Harper means to him. That's uh, that's a little bit odd because Bryce Harper's a loser, but that's another story for another time and. Um, needless to say, the fact of the matter is, is that he left Boston to turn around and play for a team that, let's be honest, hasn't had lived up to any amount of success it's anticipated to have. But for the Padres, it, I'd be optimistic for San Diego. And I think that's one of the biggest signings you can have because Andrew Bogarts, in my opinion, was the, for example, he was the guy I wanted the Yankees to sign this offseason and to play shortstop. That's who I wanted to see in pinstripes. Yeah, I think that's a big move. Honestly, him getting out of Boston, I think Boston's going to be really bad very soon. Because when you look at the rest of the AL East, Yankees, I know, Tim's rant aside, they're still going to be good. They might not be great, but they're going to be good. Toronto is always competitive, even if they don't live up to expectations. The Rays are the Rays, and Baltimore's got these prospects coming up, and maybe they'll spend a little money, sign a couple of people as we go forward. Who's getting J.D. Martinez? That's what I want to know. J.D. Martinez is going to be another very underrated free agent. For I, mean, I can see him going to an AL team, of one of these younger AL teams, maybe like a Cleveland I'm, or something I'm like that. that needed I'm really surprised because you think about it, you can utilize a DH. It's a lot better than Darren Ruff. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, Vogel, I mean, Darren Ruff is not playing. Vogelbach is going to be the main DH. But I, I also don't know how much money J.D. I don't buy Vogelbach, man. I, I just don't, don't He's cool. He he's out all the time. He's got power. He can hit 20 home runs a year. But who cares if you hit 150? 
that's like that's like that's like crazy. That's literally it's like having Ike Davis. Did you like Ike Davis? Vogelbach is like. Well, Craig, Craig Davis, of course, we know is the same way, but Ike Davis was like that towards the end of his Mets tenure. Well, Ike Davis was also okay. I don't want to get into a whole Ike Davis debate. <laughs> uh, anyway, but I, I don't know. It's possible. Mets also have an insane payroll at this point. I don't know how many other moves they can make, but I'd consider JD Martinez. I am kind of surprised he hasn't signed yet. A couple of other underrated moves I just wanted to touch on. I feel like Trey Turner to the Phillies isn't getting talked about enough because the Phillies now have a stacked lineup. They have Harper, they have Hoskins, they've got Real Muto, Schwarber, you add Trey Turner. That's a good team. And then they just went to the World Series this past year. They don't have enough starting pitching, and they really haven't done anything to do, address that. But, you know, the, the lineup is maybe one of the best, if not the best right now in the majors. And then, you know, also, I feel like Cody Bellinger to the Cubs could be interesting. I don't think Bellinger's great at this point in his career, but... He wants a resurgence, and I think a change of scenery could allow him to maybe adapt. He's also on a one-year deal, so he's going to be playing for another contract. So he's going to be trying to prove himself, could have a really good 2023 season, and try to set himself up as a suitor for 2024. He better not seek advice from Stroman. That's all I know. Well, yeah. Well, that did not really work for Marcus Stroman. Maybe maybe Ian Happ. You know, Ian Happ is now the veteran of that uh, Cubs locker room. But let's shift to football now. And let's talk about the fantasy league. So some crazy things happened this past week and the standings right now. So Raheel, your team's pretty good. You're 12 and one. You're safe. And then we now have a four way tie among nine and four teams heading into the last week of the regular season. Me, Tim Bellows and Zoe. I play Bellows this week. I'm projected to lose by 12. Tim, you're up against Drew. And you're projected to win by 16. And Zoe's against T Glass, and it's 50-50 right now. T Glass is supposed to win by 0.1. So and remember, somebody has to win the division. So Bellows can't physically be the two if he beats you. Yeah. Because of the fact that he has to win his division. So it, it comes to the way of two people are gonna make the playoffs, one person's gonna miss, and he it's going to be interesting because two weeks ago, no one would have thought Bellows could have a chance at missing. But if you surprise him and stun him, Bellows could miss the playoffs and the East could have every, you know, uh, every wild card put in there and Raheel would be the lone. I think, I think they're in the West, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah Raheel would be the lone representative of the West in the playoffs. Yeah. I, and what also frustrates me is I look at it. I have 240 more points than Zoe almost 200 more points than you. And I'm playing the hardest opponent this week. So it is very likely that all three of you could win. I could lose. At least that's what the projections say right now, that I'm going to go from first place in the East to missing the postseason. So that's, that's, that's where we're at right now, which is a little unfortunate. Um, I won last week, but going to be in some trouble. And then in terms of worst in the league, poor Miniker, he's one in 12. Frank's is two and eleven. Um, let's We're see. still working on stipulation, by the way. We're going to figure that one out for whoever wins the toilet bowls. I like to say. Now, the interesting part here is that Miniker is playing Poach. Poach has essentially given up on his team. Poach is only supposed to get forty-four points this week, so Miniker could grab a second win. And Frank's is playing Raheel. Raheel, maybe you should just rest your starters. Should I? I don't know. 
Actually, I mean, wait, no, if you guys no, think no, the guys want in the league, I will. No, no, play your guys. Play your okay. guys. So Franks loses, Miniker wins, and then well, then they'll be tied, and then it'll come down to points about who is. Okay, got you, got you, got you, got you. Let's see. Um, well, actually, Miniker's ahead by like 120 points over Franks, so it's not really going to make a difference. Um, so well, they put him over Franks, but again, our breaker is decided by head-to-head record. That is true. So, and then it goes to points four. If they had to, for example, me, you, and Zoe, since we all play the same division, went one and one against each other. So we're combined, what is it, three and three <laughs> versus uh, versus everyone? Miniker has the head-to-head over Frank, so I didn't even realize that. That was Miniker's one nope. win. He beat him by yeah. 43. Yeah. So he turns around, he wins this week. We could we could be seeing something interesting where all of a sudden it'd be Franks that falls down the last. That would be hilarious. But uh, we will keep you posted on Twitter at Sportspeak Live for all of that. But let's shift to the National Football League now. And of course, ever since July, when Tim said that the Giants were equal to the Eagles, as uh, we were trying to rank the NFC East teams as the second best team in the division. I've been looking forward to this matchup, but now it's finally going to happen. The first of two meetings between the Giants and the Eagles. The Eagles have still only lost one game. Raheel is shaking his head, and the Giants are 1-3-1 and one in their last five, including a game against the Commanders that, let's be honest, they kind of needed to win, and they ended up coming out of that with a 20-20 tie because Graham Gano missed the potential game-winning field goal. I mean, the Giants, I still think, are going to make the playoffs. But and I've been saying this since the beginning. I said this when we went through the predictions that I've been. And so I don't want to hear anybody. I said the Eagles were going to split with the Giants, no matter who's good or who's bad each and every year. The good team in that rivalry usually has trouble against the bad team. Let's think about last year, for example, when Jalen Rieger couldn't catch three potential game-winning catches, including two in the end zone. And that's the reason why the Giants ended up beating the Eagles. So I would hold my breath and be careful, even as good as the Eagles looked last week. So, Raheel, I'll go to you first. Your expectations for this matchup is the Giants' tough schedule to finish out the year. There's still, let's be honest, eight teams probably going for seven spots in the NFC. And the Giants don't want to be the team on the outside. We're on to week 15. Let's focus on Washington because Saquon Barkley is now questionable with a neck injury. So I don't, I don't know. Just, just think about what, I mean, they, they're not going to beat Philly. Philly's probably going to run all over them because the Giants are so, first of all, the Giants didn't have much talent to begin with. Now everyone is hurt. Their best receiver is probably Hodges. It used to be Wandell. He tore his ACL. Darius Slayton, yeah, he makes an out play every now and then. But he didn't make a wide open catch. He, he had can't. a wide open touchdown in OT, and he drops the ball. He, like I, my whole nickname for him is Darius Drop Slayton. But like, how many times do you have to drop wide open catches? It's like I'm talking about simple catches that you or I can make. It's every time he can only make contested one on one catches. That's the only thing he can do. It's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's true. It really is. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of it against Washington, too. Think about last year, how we had an easy game winner, a sealer, or sealer and instead the Giants, who came back from behind, well, Slayton drops the ball, and they end up losing to Washington. So at, at the end of the day, the Giants, guess what? Listen, realistically, you win. You, you, you need three, in my opinion. But – 
you could do it if you get away with two. You got to beat Washington. You got to beat Indianapolis, right? That's the Indianapolis yeah. last easy team they have. But this is the other thing that really comes to play. Because, of course, you and I both have really bad PTSD, me more especially than you, about what happened week 17, two seasons ago, where, was it week 17, week 18, whatever it was, when Washington played Philadelphia? Yeah, week 17. Week 17. And needless to say, the Giants missed out because of that. Well, let's not forget who the Giants closed the season against. They closed it against Philadelphia, who by week 18 should have everyone because what has the has the minnesota game happened already i, I always forget that for philadelphia has the, has yeah, game yeah we blew them out week two right 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 week yeah. two. Okay. so so what overall they have to head to head so theoretically they have two games if you think about it on paper to minnesota even though it's just one yeah no minnesota so, minnesota's not getting the they're not getting the one seed you right. guys have the so, because yeah what i'm saying overall is though is that if the giants don't win this game because again under the radar, is this the one thing that we have to give the Giants credit for? Every yeah. game this season that we said, oh, they're out, they're done, they found a way to win. Let's be honest. I didn't have them winning against Baltimore. I didn't have them winning against Green Bay. And again, I know those aren't teams like Philadelphia, but you can't underrate that fact that the Giants, as the underdog, have played good this season. But if they're not to win this, I just feel like overall, if there's no reason for Philadelphia Week 18 – to play their starters, there's no reason for them to play their starters. So to me, I feel like the Giants overall, if they can't get it done this week, that win could come week 18, assuming Philadelphia doesn't lose another game till then, um, and until week 18, of course. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm just happy if we go above 500. The tie sucks last week. But, God, I, this is all I asked for as a Giants fan. I just wanted to see complimentary football. And for the record, for Jets fans too, just New York football in general, I want to see complimentary football being played into the month of December. I won't bitch. I won't complain if we if we miss the playoffs. But overall, I'm just I'm just happy to see what we have. And again, I know we said next season will be next season when we have a tougher schedule. But I'm happy Brian Dable is our coach, and I'm happy what this organization could do. The only thing now we have to see is can we get receivers? Because unfortunately. It seems like Daniel Jones is going to be the quarterback of the future, which stinks. So that that's the only thing that stinks because I don't think he's the QB of the future, but I don't feel like the Giants are going to go around and try to pursue anyone else. And I, I, I my answer would have been Derek Carr if we can't get Lamar Jackson just because I think Carr is still an upgrade. But at the end of the day, it's not going to make a difference. Daniel Jones is probably going to be the next quarterback or the continued quarterback for the Giants because we're not getting a good QB in the draft. Although, Tim, it would be the most Giants thing ever if they were to play the backup starters and somehow the backup starters of Philly beat them on the final week of the season. Well, well, right, right. But overall, I'm saying for Philadelphia, if that's the week, I'm saying if that's the third game they were to win, I wouldn't be surprised. Because, again, listen, I mean, there's teams that do it, right? And then their quarterbacks end up getting injured. I understand Jalen Hurts is on a borderline MVP season. But again, what is there to what is there to gain? I shouldn't say lose. What is there to gain playing a week eighteen game with nothing but risking injury? I, to me, it, it wouldn't make sense. And again, I know you don't want to toss away games, but the Eagles would be going into a bye. So I, I just I, I feel like you utilize that like a bye week for a lot of those guys. So again, I, I, overall, and I, for the record, I don't even think you see starting secondary players out there. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be. Like, Preseason game, literally like a preseason game. Yeah, 
Only thing I will say, though, I don't think the Eagles' backup secondary would do much worse than the starting secondary against the Giants receivers, number one. Number two, Gardner Minshew is a very suitable QB. And if Miles Sanders and Kenneth Kenneth Gainwell aren't playing, who's the starting running back? Boston Scott, who tortures the Giants each and every time. But but Gardner Minshew can't run like Hurts. That's what makes this offense so deadly is that Hurts – like Lamar Jackson can be so versatile in the pocket and unlike Lamar Jackson has targets downfield that he can just tuck it up to. Listen, AJ Brown has proven his worth this season. He's done a very good job. You know, Quez Watkins has speed. Don't get me wrong, but he's not even the big, the, 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 the big target at the end of the day. I mean, Dallas Goddard, what he's hurt, right? So he's not coming back for the rest of the season. No, he'll be back. This is the last the, game. missing. Last game. So it's like, God, but Goddard's yeah. been hurt. Right. So at the end of the day, this team is still chugging along offensively. But when you talk about division play, focusing on this Sunday again, I don't like again on paper, the Eagles should kill the Giants should. But the Giants are home A and B are the underdogs. So I just don't know what to expect. We just have to sit back and watch. And to be honest with you, because we like to do our predictions, obviously we have our three and three, but I think we should be forced to pick our teams uh, on Sunday uh, as as an additional bonus game. I was going to say that. We're going to do three games plus one. I have to take the Eagles. You have to take the Giants. But to finish this episode, final score predictions. Raheel, you start. For for the Eagles, Eagles yes. Giants game. I'll yes, go biggest game in the I'll go history. Thirty. I'll go thirty-seven. I'll go thirty-seven to twenty to Philly. I think I'm that's not, respectable. I'm not as optimistic. I'm just telling you. I I, I think the Eagles are going to win. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be similar to the Colts game where the Eagles kind of come out slow and the Giants fans get really excited in the first half. I'm going to say twenty-four seventeen Eagles. You're overrating this. Listen, at the end of the day, if I have to pick the Giants to win, it's going to be as simple as this. It's going to come down to a defensive day. The Giants defense is going to have to show up and play good football, which means the Giants would end up winning 23-20 virtue of a Graham Gano field goal. That doesn't come down short because, again, he was kicking against the wind in good old MetLife Stadium. Somehow is the worst wind in, in, in the entirety of football other than the worst maybe, maybe Buffalo. Buffalo is pretty bad. <laughs> but I just don't understand how bad wind can be in New Jersey, considering I drive by there all the time and it feels like there's hardly any wind in that area. So I don't get it. I don't know either, but we'll see what happens. We'll break it all down next week. We appreciate Raheel Jaswal joining us once again here on Sportspeak. Follow us on Twitter for our game picks uh, on Sunday. But until next time, I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. Signing off of Sportspeak. We hope you have a great rest of your weekend.